Hey guys, you are about to hear part three of a podcast from Christ City Church. This is Stacy Martin. I'm one of the elders at Christ City. Um, the conclusion of a conversation between pastors Robin and Jamin. And this podcast, this um, episode of the podcast centers around how white supremacy and privilege have permeated American culture. And then Jamin gives us some thoughts on um, being allies, what a foundation for allyship means. And I think that's particularly important for our church, for Christ City Church in Memphis, Tennessee, to listen up around those things. Um, He says at one point in the podcast, um, talking about who our spiritual guides are and who we've, what voices we've let into our head um, up until now, and that it might be time to listen to some others. So this is a good start on that and listen up. Hope you enjoy it. Let's talk about all things white supremacy. Let's talk about white privilege. And I want to talk about white fragility. And so there are the three ideas there that are being thrust out, right, to the open, that you're seeing more people having conversation around, stuff you've been thinking through, living with for years and years now. L- tie that into what we've, been, what we've been discussing so far. So I want to start with what I think stops these conversations so quickly and I see this endlessly online you know and that's that's about white privilege you know where people are like man black people just whine too much life is hard for everybody you know everywhere from from somebody yelling out at Dave Chappelle and and saying life's tough you know and he's he's talking about something to the most serious debaters on these issues those that kind of thing gets said some level or, or another. And uh, so it's a, it's a very triggering phrase or, mm-hmm. or idea, uh, white privilege. And, you know, the, the best definition I've heard of white privilege is uh, white privilege doesn't mean that you haven't struggled in life or that you haven't had difficulties in life. It's just that those things were never a result of your skin color. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's just a really simple way to talk about um, white privilege. It doesn't mean that you had all the, it's not money privilege or wealth privilege. It's, it's a racial privilege to not have to deal with certain types of difficulties in specific ways. Like not, even though if you have the same credit score as a, as a, as a white couple, a black couple, not getting a mortgage from a bank, Mm. you know, or um, nobody in your family dies and leaves you in a state uh, because they're, because your ancestors were slaves mm. or enslaved people. Uh, so, you know, uh, if, you, if you grow up white and you've never heard another narrative or another experience, hearing that you had a privileged life can be very off-putting mm-hmm. sounding thing and, and, and you get defensive. Yep. If somebody tells me, uh, about something that I have worked hard for. Well, you didn't earn that in, mm-hmm. in, in so many words. Or, um, then I'm going to feel defensive about that. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I did. Here's how I earned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's the first, I think, thing to think about is kind of to deactivate the bomb of, of that phrase. Yeah. It, it just means that because of the history of our country, because of the hierarchy that exists in our country, that not that you didn't struggle, but that there were certain struggles you were exempt from. And so that gives you a privilege comparatively. 
Yeah, and 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 just tell me if this is if I if I'm even missing this. It's not that someone hasn't earned what they have so far in life. It's that the head start they were given to be able to earn that thing in life, whatever this little set amount they could earn, is what's so different as well. The head start of where you came from and and what you don't have to think about and deal with and struggle with as well. Would that would that be fair? Yeah, to to a degree because because it depends on um, what the context is. So sure. in the context of if you've got uh, 10 white people applying for this job, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to be, have a better resume maybe than the other nine, mm-hmm. you know, essentially. But the types of um, social safety nets inherent in our culture, not, not explicit ones necessarily provided by the government, Mm-hmm. But the ones that are more inherent, like we talked about, like a her- inheriting an estate or just that you're going to have a lot more people in higher up positions because of where your family started from 200 years ago or wherever or where right. they didn't have to start from. Right. You know, so you you're going to you have you don't have to bring as much to the table. Yeah. You know, a black person uh, typically has to has to work twice as hard, be, you know, twice as in control of their emotions mm-hmm. And to have done twice as much homework and just, you know, just worked exponentially harder to get the same thing, mm-hmm. um, even though the, the white counterpart still may have worked hard. They might not have, but they might have, mm-hmm. you know, so it but it, it's it's just it's so nuanced because ra- the racial hierarchy, there's not an area of our society that it doesn't touch. Yeah. So it's just so implicit. And just to add this, I was I was listening to some podcasts and they're talking about even like with with COVID nineteen, right? Yeah. With coronavirus and how what you're seeing happening within minority communities and the effect it's having at even a faster rate. Uh, and um, not all, but a lot of people of color than it would be for someone else. And this this doctor riffing and talking through, like, a, a person of color, specifically they're talking about a black man, who whose body is just more worn down yeah. of years and years of an anxiety level being up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so then his, his immune system is lower. Yeah. And so therefore more susceptible yeah. to harsher effects. Right. And I was listening to that thinking, oh, my God, there's because you said there's not one part of our society. Yeah. Where the, it hasn't affected it, yeah, and like even privilege within health, yeah, of like me not having to worry about if I go to a grocery store, my people looking like looking yeah. at me a certain way. If I have a hoodie on, if I yeah. go apply for a loan, whatever, if I get pulled over by the police, yeah, just the the things I don't have to think about, worry about, yeah, yeah. That, it's a lot to think about, yeah, it is, and 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 uh, once you have one of those experiences where something like that happens, where it's like. Like I got, I remember I was 20 and I got accused of stealing from a, from a a gas station, you know, corner store Mm -hmm. because I was walking around. I didn't have a a hood on, Mm -hmm. but I think I did have like a hoodie on and my hands were in my pockets and I was just walking around and I couldn't decide on what kind of snack I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I left. And the next time I came in there, the clerk said, you can't come back in here. You stole something last time. Well. And I was blown away. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. 
I need to step up my self-awareness a notch mm. here in Cordova, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's the privilege of not having to, to worry about um, how close you're walking to, to somebody else mm. uh, out in public or, you know, how upset you show yourself to be. Like, you know, in the tennis world, like Serena Williams got mad about something and man, they, they hated on her so bad. Yep. And then you got like white dudes tearing up the whole stadium when they get mad in a yep. tennis match. And it's like, well, that's understandable. Right. You know, it's like, what? Right. Why is that understandable? It's well, it's, it's because of white privilege. So the, so there's white privilege. And then when, when we talk about white s- supremacy. Yeah. Because that so many people go, oh, well, I'm nowhere near that. Okay, right. maybe there's white privilege, but I'm nowhere near being a white supremacist. Right. Okay, so let's yeah. talk about that. So, yeah, you know, there was, after Obama was elected, there was all kind of talk about how, okay, we've made it now. We've made it to a colorblind society because now we have, we, we have a black uh, president. Mm-hmm. But there's always been inherent, there, and there has to be in every racial hierarchy, there has to be exceptionalism mm. present. Because then it shows that the people on the top of the hierarchy are actually benevolent because the ones who are lower, in this case, black people on the hierarchy, the ones that that actually have the capacity to succeed do like, see, don't you like what are y'all doing over there in the ghetto? Like one of y'all became president. You see, that just goes to show like if you had the moral you know, uprightness, if you worked as hard as we did, mm. et cetera, et cetera, then you too could be the president of mm. the United States. Yeah. And so that, that is a, an essential ingredient in the ideology of white supremacy. So we could trace this back as far as what we talked about earlier in this discussion, which was the marriage of Christianity with the, with the Roman Empire. And out of right. that, you know, you, you got this, this hierarchy of of folks in in royalty and this bloodline of nobility and there was sort of a uh a a a class of people that were theologically politically intellectually in all these ways superior and and race didn't really have anything to do with it for the most part in most of, of the western world racially there was a lot of similarities but even when there weren't that wasn't the thing as long as you could you could trace the bloodline mm. as long as there was was royal blood in common and and as that gave way in the enlightenment period where where people started to uh, throw off the that idea of of nobility and and the feudalistic sort of leadership of cultures and kings and queens and that kind of thing, there became a vacuum or a void mm. of, of how to decide who, what type of people should be ruling. And people like the, the philosopher and, and uh, uh, sociologist, uh, Immanuel Kant, mm-hmm. you know, he, he started to develop this sort of racial hierarchy idea. Mm. And he started to explain sometimes implicitly, sometimes more explicitly, that lighter-skinned European people needed to lead out in the world. Hmm. And he would give various, you know, faulty arguments about why that, why that was true based on his idea, and this takes us back to the Bible conversation, hmm. that his understanding was completely objective. He believed he had an objective view of the peoples of the world. And so that what he had to say about where they fell into a hierarchy was just 
truth. It was just accurate. It was mm. unquestionable, undoubtable. Yeah. And so you could pull, you can pull the Bible into that. You can pull all kinds of things into that, but that makes ideas like manifest destiny possible. That makes the idea of eventual progress, even if it means the subjugation, torture, brutalization of lesser peoples, like it's all good because we're the right people are in charge mm -hmm. and eventually it's going to lead to this perfectly benevolent society. And there's even guys, there's, there's white theological leaders in our community in Memphis who they, they had, they tie in the millennial reign and all these things to these types of ideas. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, and some of them are not even ashamed or, 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 or trying to hide it. And many of them don't realize that's what their thinking is. But when mm -hmm. I hear them talk, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's where that comes from. Yep. The enlightenment, the 17th century, Immanuel Kant, like that's that you don't even know it. Yeah. Um, and so, um, when America, the American project begins, all of that is, is behind it. All of that is informing it. So you have these, these incredibly, I think, divinely inspired statements in our, in our constitution, um, about that all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. And yet the actual people writing it have yet to understand what that really looks like and means, which is, that's, you know, that's the Bible too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have people writing, you know, let's just preached on last week, Zechariah nine about this coming future, this King who is lowly and humble, but righteous and will establish peace, not through war, but through the destruction of the agents of violence. Mm. And those, those people of that time, they, they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't understand how to grapple with those ideas and, and how to, you know, lead to do what the Lord's prayer says, you know, pray that your, your kingdom, uh, be on earth as it, as it is in heaven. Right. Um, and so uh, this idea of white supremacy is just, it's ingrained. You've been taught it. All of us in America have been taught it through all types of subtle messages and signs and not so subtle messages and signs um, to believe that if you qualify in a racial way as white, that you somehow have an in inherent superiority. And so we're, we celebrate and we congratulate the people like Obama who, you know, they, they surpass the general limitations of the race. Mm. Um, and that makes us feel good about that hierarchy uh, because it shows like, yeah, you know, things are the way they are for a reason. And look, now some people are making it to our level. Mm. Like some black people are making it to the white level. And these types of ideas, they have to be confronted directly so insidious man yeah it's like when you when you break it down that way and think about like oh you, see you made it and it it yeah. just reaffirms the structure we have in place yeah and and then the privilege someone feels to be able then to you know when i sometimes i think about um i have this permission somehow given to me that i can just say what i want to where i want to to whom i want to mm. Right. And just the privilege in that, but also backed behind that kind of white supremacy, what I was handed, you know, of like a, almost like a master to his slaves. And just to be, to have to confront that, yeah. it's so tiring. Yeah. It's so much work. And yet it's, this is what you're getting to. 
this is the work that has to happen. Yeah. All these small areas must be confronted. Mm-hmm. But here's kind of the last thing. So I, we said, you know, white privilege, white supremacy, and then we're left with white fragility. Right. So to confront it, now we're going to run into white fragility. Right. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is where the work of like uh, Carl Jung and have Richard Rohr's extrapolations of this in, um, in uh, the what's the second half of life book called falling, falling upward, uh, falling upward. Yep. Yeah, they, these kinds of things are helpful as well as uh, in, this isn't your starter point when you're first dealing with white fragility, but James Cone's uh, uh, black liberation theology, Good. his, his main on book him. on that, because though all, all those works deal with the, the uh, foundation of your identity. Mm-hmm. And so if you grow up with all of these um, intellectual, emotional crutches, like we talked about the Confederate statues and flags and monuments and things like that. Um, when the ground of that becomes shaky uh, and you've never understood uh, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, how much ground that gave you identity wise, then you want to get away from that conversation. You want to downplay its importance or significance. Uh, You want to convince yourself that you're somehow an exception to being in this thing that's just, that is America. It is. And could I add like, it's almost like a statement when you say to yourself this. Yeah. I'm not racist. Right. Yes. <laughs> there exactly. you go. Yeah. It's yeah. all encompassed in that, in that statement, but I'm not racist. Right. And I never owned any slaves right. and all, all of those kinds of things. It's, it's as soon as the equilibrium that the normal racial hierarchy in America has afforded you, as soon as that equilibrium is, uh, is upturned or it's, 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 it's disturbed. Yep. That's, that's the point in which you're engaging uh, as uh, as in the term white fragility, you're engaging in that in that fight or flight moment, mm-hmm. and the first thing you have to do with it is just recognize that's what's happening. Like I've had all of these things that contributed my, to my sense of well being in, in 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 my country in my world, mm-hmm. and when I talk to this person who has a different lived experience and a different understanding of America. Am I going to be able to engage that disruption to entertain that cognitive dissonance? Or am I going to quote scripture to them? Or am I going to say, but white people struggle too? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to say, well, look at President Obama? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to say, actually, I had ancestors that didn't own slaves Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. Anything to bypass the uncomfortability that something that you had, you had no knowledge of or intention of until it was well formed this white supremacist ideology has been supporting you and you didn't choose it you were born into it Mm -hmm. and yet it's going to require some dismantling Mm -hmm. and that is a metaphor again that reminds me of that quote from trump that you gave like that these protests don't want America to be the best it can be. Right. It wants to dismantle what America is. Yeah, they don't is. want to better it. They want to, they want yeah. to end America as we know it. Right? right, right. And so to better, to, to go back to the, the white supremacist ideology, to better that or to strengthen that or to reinforce it with a new set of statues mm-hmm. or, you know, an, another president like a Trump, yeah. you know, is the opposite 
of this protest movement. Um, That's because, white fragility in play. Yes. Right. Yes. The, the, the election of, of Donald Trump is it was a backlash yep. to what? Okay, well, we didn't really want it to go this far that a black dude could be president. Mm-hmm. And so we end up with a, a poor man's version of a president afterwards, but he just, he's white and he says things that reinforce uh, white supremacy. I mean, the, the, if, you, if you measured just the skills, the intellectual, emotional skills and capacities of those two men, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a picture perfect uh, example of white fragility, white supremacy, and white privilege in play. Yeah, I think that's, and I, I want to be clear, this, like, I'm not trying to hang here because I want to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, just come bring down the pain on, on someone. But this, to me, is, I haven't really thought about this way, it really encapsulates so much of what we're talking about here. When you look at, from President Obama to President Trump, yeah. and what we have in play here. And yeah. when, people, when people ask, the, and this is the thing, people have asked the question, how do we get here? Yeah. How do you get to have a caricature of someone yeah. that just, it's like there's no filter. It's almost like yeah. every the president ever has had a filter, yeah. except now. Like, how do you get here? And you're like, because these things have always been there, yeah. and the fragility was pressed on, yeah. and so this is the backlash. I just think that's an important piece to note <laughs> yeah. of observation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then any yeah. questioning of it, if we go, if we jump into, you know, particularly religious circle is like, so if you, if you, you start to critique the infinitely critiquable record of, of Donald Trump, right. um, then it's, so are you, a, you support murdering babies? Right. That's white fragility. Yep. That's an inability to engage the Great conversation. Yes. It's just a, it's a spiritual bypass. Yes. It's like, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't sit in this topic even for one second. Mm. Um, so any of those things are, are, are used They're yeah. you know, scripture bombs and yeah. this, that, and the other, you know, oh, to, man. to get away from the, the, the central core issue in our country that uh, we're, we're, we are, we are never going to get away from this. It is, is either going to destroy us or it will actually let us heal and we can actually become uh, the leader that we claim to be in the world mm. in terms of, I mean, not a, we're, we're late to the game. There's many, many countries that have had right. racial reconciliation conferences, done restitution. I mean, the, the Germany's still paying out to Holocaust survivors. They've paid like $80 billion. They have all the education, all the history, all those things. And we're still arguing about getting, you know, uh, the rebel flag out of the, the Mississippi state flag and, and Confederate leaders, people who defied and, and rose up against our government so they could keep having slaves, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's still where we're at. Yeah. So we're not even close to leaders of, uh, of those things in the world. So let me just try to land this with our this last question here, and um, what for all the for all the Christ City peeps and or anyone else that is listening to this, wh- what do they do? Like, how do they move forward and not be immensely crushed by the waves of what's seemingly in front of them to have to face? Um, because I, I want to just make a note of something, you know, none of us, 
none of us get to just move on. That's such a myth as well, right? Let's kind of move on. We're all building upon. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't get to like, well, I'm going to move past this moment here. Like, that doesn't work that way. You're building upon this thing here. And what we're recognizing is every one of us, to some degree, are a part of the cracks of the foundation. Right. And so if a person's listening to this and going, man, what do I, like, what do I do? You know? And, and, and I'll just kind of give a hint. I think that I'd love to, whether it's talking about Cone or what you're reading, but also like your own personal interior work to yeah. be able to set you up to do this. You mentioned like Roar in, in, in Jung. So take us there. Like, what do we do? How do we move? How, how do we build upon this and not just try to move away or move forward on this? Yeah. So like, like we kind of talked about earlier in the conversation, symbols are really important. And one of the primary symbols we have are words. And so I, a, a word that really um, made so much sense to me that I really heard being used in a really powerful way is uh, the word ally. And I heard it by a, a rapper named Killer Mike, who is, he's an, he's an incredible mind mm. uh, on all things race in America. Mm-hmm. He has such a, a unique um, non-partisan type of perspective on all this stuff. Mm. And he's not a Christian, so he doesn't have, he doesn't, he's not trapped up in trying to defend. It's like a documentary, like that like some kind of, is it? Yeah, he, he made a show. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, okay. but he does all these crazy social experiments yes, in the show yes, yes. Okay. Uh, that are really interesting yeah. and funny. Uh-huh. Uh, he's just, he's a really cool guy. So, but he, he, he would call white people who, you know, who, who were to some degree woke. I, I try to avoid using that term in these kind of conversations, but um, allies, mm. like he's got a partner that he raps with and they make albums together. He's a white guy and he's like, yeah, he's an ally. Mm. And I think, I think um, thinking about yourself, like, is that what you want to be? Do you want to be an ally in these situations or like, do you want to be like a gadfly or whatever it's called? You know, is that the way you say that word? But do you want to be somebody who's constantly critiquing and trying to poke holes in Black Lives Matter or whatever else it is? Is is that the identity you want? Like trying to make it perfect mm. um, before you before you're willing to engage it, mm. or do you want to see yourself as an ally to human rights moving forward? Mm. And if the if the answer is yes then then that gives you some sort of uh, stepping stone yeah. off of to move off of the the the, the white um, superiority sort of uh, stone and to say like so then what is it what is what is it being asked of me to do to be able to embrace this type of identity as yeah. an ally and be, our church you know we've done a lot of work as a whole around feelings and we've done a lot of work around like things like the Enneagram and those things have broad applications because they deal with the heart of who we are as human beings and they allow us to engage more cognitive dissonance if we have the anger or the passion to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay if things in our head don't always make sense or line up. We can pay attention to our feelings and that help us guide us through things like, what am I scared of right now? Mm. And figure out, well, what is the thought process here? Well, I've always sort of felt this or done this and thought about things this way. So I'm afraid, but is that 
fear something to try to control or is it something to look for more wisdom mm. to help me understand this thing I don't understand? And who should I listen to? Well, who have I already been listening to? Mm. Who's already informed my thinking? Mm -hmm. So who's a different voice that can talk through and in a whatever way I, I, I'm prone to hearing, artistically, intellectually, musically, who can I start listening to mm. to engage a different narrative of, of, of this story? If I can just add anecdotally for me how that has played out yeah. almost to a T. Yeah. I remember 2016, I think that summer, you invited me to go to a, a BLM, a Black, Life Matter, Black Lives Matter rally out in, I think it was Cordova, almost Cordova, and um, North Memphis. And I remember going to that with you and sitting in a space in this church where there was probably about a thousand people packed in, right? Yeah. And it was, and I probably was one of less than 10, maybe five. Non-black people. Non-black people, right. I was about to say white. Thank you for, you, you're, you're the one years ago was like, you're not white. You're biracial. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm looking right at you, dude. You ain't, you're not white. <laughs> and I really appreciate that. that is, I have so much gratitude around that. But I remember sitting in there and letting myself have feelings, like letting myself hear the feelings of what's going on around me and hearing, like I remember thinking like, there's like a thousand voices of hurt going on right now. Yeah. And if hurt matters to me, someone else's hurt matters, what would I do with that? And you know, you and I were talking already, but that, that became a, a, yeah. a moment. Yeah. I mean, look back on. And, and since then, I, you know, like I, I realized, like, for example, I've always, I've always liked from a distance and then would engage at some, a lot of what I, a lot of black culture, you know, yeah. hip hop culture uh, within fashion, whatever else. Yeah. But I found myself like throwing myself like even to, into a lot of music. Like, let yeah. me just, let me widen my range. Of yeah. what I'm listening to, and just listen, yeah, and and learn. I started reading. I'd go like, "Who do I read?" <laughs> you know, you're like, "Well, here's Baldwin, here's James Cone, right, about Black liberation theology. Here's here's King, you know, that kind of thing." And I just found it put me on a path to start learning, yeah, and taking it in. Yeah. And there's still so much more to learn, but just with with what you're saying there, and the fact that I think there was enough work in me at that time to know my own feelings, yeah which gave me room for someone else's feelings mm -hmm. without having to run from it because I felt the shame. Yeah. 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 So the, yeah, the, you can, you can kind of become an activist and not really interrogate where that, where that's coming from. Just kind of riding the, the, the cultural movement going on and be like, yeah, people are angry. I'm angry too, you know, and I can make a sign and fight the power, you know, for a yeah. few minutes and talk about it to my kids when they grow up. That'd be good memory, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, at some point you have to, that, that's why Christianity can be such an ally to this work. It, it so oftentimes hasn't been, but it has inherent in it. I mean, the core of Christianity is Jesus mm. who, uh, epitomizes the elevation of the marginalized. And, um, so doing this, the spiritual work, but, but being more picky and choosy about, who you let be your spiritual guides. Mm. And if you've only ever had spiritual guides who were white males, then it's time to listen to somebody else. Yeah. If you actually uh, want to um, make some progress here and intentionally choose, um, choose those people to help shape you. You know, I, when I, when I sat 
in the in the churches I did after leaving that non-denominational church that my my folks went to, I sought out uh, black voices and black men um, to guide and shape me because I realized that I hadn't had enough of that in my life. Mm. And there's you know there's assumption that all you know that all black people have this this foundation, but they don't because mm. there's a whole lot more white people than there are black people in the United mm. States. So it's just the 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 thing there. And, and, and within that, so the word ally and then the word grace inherent in our, in our faith is, is grace. Mm. You know, if you want to do this, there are people like myself, but there's many, many other people who are willing to walk with you along that journey if you're willing to do your own work mm-hmm. and have plenty of grace for you. You know, some people sit down, they, they just woke up yesterday and they're trying to sit with me. Or, and use all the right words and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you, there's no way you can, you, you don't know anything. Right. You just have to talk about it so you can hear how ignorant you sound yes. and, and learn that you need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not going to get mad at you because you, 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 you say you're not, un, you don't understand, you know, what the big deal about this, that, or the other is. I know you don't. I already knew that. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't be sitting here right, right. now if you didn't. So I think, you know, thinking of what does it mean to be an ally, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in Cohn's work, he, he would say he, the way he describes it is more forceful and more challenging. He's like, you have to become black, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's deeply metaphorical, but he never, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't spoon feed it to you. Right. Yeah. And so Just reading, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, reading that kind of work and interacting with those kind of de- ideas and talking about them and being willing to say, like, I'm just really uncomfortable and this is scary and this is different from what I've ever been taught. And yeah. and it brings us full circle really back to that memory I had about uh, reading the book of Ephesians with that group of people and that girl, you know, saying, like, I don't I'm, I'm I don't. I can't hang with this because of this endorsement of slavery in this text. And I go down and I'm trying to, I'm trying to see if there's an answer to this. Mm -hmm. If I can unpack this in the way that the, the, the white evangelical world says it can be unpacked, Mm -hmm. like that there's an answer for everything. It's going to, it's going to work out. You're going to be able to add it all up and realize, no, it, it does not add up. Mm -hmm. And you, nothing in life does that neatly yeah and so if you come from a place where you have experienced certain privileges that in itself can be a massive revelation Mm. just that it's not all ever gonna make sense and um, that's an important place to be able to get to and and unfortunately at Christ City we help shepherd people into that type of reality Mm. Yeah, we we give permission for healthy shame. Yeah. And for you to kind of be there and um you know, we've borrowed the line from others that say oh, I'll I'll never shit on you. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that kind of atmosphere I think has a really good shot at hel- at, at producing change. Yeah. For people, right? And and change not just around where they came from spiritually and their trauma, but also what they were handed and it's been unconscious in their life around racism, yeah. around their ideals and views. And well, let, so let's do this. Just give me, give me some names. Give me some resources. Give me some starting points for people. If they're just like, I just want to jump in here. Give me your footnotes 
and it's top off the top of your head. So don't worry if it's not exhausted. Yeah. You know and what I mean? And we could put it in the notes. Too. Yeah, totally put it in the notes. So go. Howard Thurman, Martin Luther. Keenan. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the very top of my list, somebody who, who, who can speak to America and Christianity and even, you know, Islam and Nation of Islam and all just so many different ingredients yeah. politically, socially is, is James Baldwin. And, and the thing about James Baldwin that's great is you don't have to read a whole book by him. I mean, he's got lots of essays. I mean, mm-hmm. you could buy a collection. There's seven, and in recent history, I mean, in the past five years, he's gotten really popular. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to try to like hit people to James Baldwin, you know, when I was like 24, you know, 13 years ago. And people are like, who? And it didn't matter if they were black or white or other. Like, who's James Baldwin? And I'd tell them and they'd be like, yeah, okay. You know, and now it's like, oh, James Baldwin. Everybody loves trying to quote him and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which is great. Because yeah. he, he's, he's, he can change your life. He yeah. changed the way that you think about uh, America and your faith and, um, and help break down some of these walls of compartmentalization so that you know that we talked about earlier the fire next time but there's just there's there's lots of essays even uh, uh he just he was a book critic and he wrote a critique of a book by another prominent black novelist and it was called notes on a native son hmm. and um but he also has works of fiction he has novels um go tell on the mountain short stories the first thing i read by baldwin was in a like a entry-level lit class in a book of short stories and i read sunny's blues Mm -hmm. and it followed two brothers uh that grew up in harlem two black black brothers that grew up in harlem and that's what made me research him later was that short story and for what it's worth you could even go on youtube and listen to some of his talks and he's an an incredible speaker yeah 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 there's a um there's a debate with that he has with william f buckley in england somewhere uh, at a university or something and uh, the title of it is, Was the American Dream Achieved at the Expense of the Negro? Mm-hmm. And he debates William F. Buckley, who is the father of, of much of modern conservatism, mm-hmm. uh, about that question. And that, that debate I've watched three, four times. I've watched it with people and led discussions around it. So Baldwin, and, and where else would you go? Would yeah, you go? Um, so uh, depending on, let's see, you know, you can definitely you can definitely read King's speeches and, and those kind of things, and I think I think King's overlooked because he's so popularized. But his speeches and and his books, like Where Do We Go From Here, um, his work is is really really profound and has a deep Christian spiritual element that's also extremely intellectual. It's really good really good work, and you can just read speeches. Mm-hmm. You can listen to speeches. And then influence um, in his life being. Howard Thurman. Right. Yeah. yeah. Howard Thurman and Jesus and the disinherited. And uh, you know that I have mixed feelings about when like, I don't think uh, groups of white people should read that book and then talk about it with each Mm. other. Um, And, and in general, I don't think that's a good idea for a lot of this stuff. Like Mm. um, you've got to find yourself uh, a minority at some point in these conversations. Mm. You know, I used to stack the tables on MLK day when I could, when I held, organizations in my or things in my house to try to make sure it was more black people than white people in mm-hmm. the conversation. And I think though that's, that's really important. Yeah. Um, and uh, like newer folks, like, like Will, Will Gaffney mm-hmm. and womanist theology, yeah, yeah. like black woman voice there. Um, the, you know, listening to people like Angela Davis, who was 
uh, Black Panther who, man, our culture gets them so wrong, mm -hmm. the dominant culture. Mm -hmm. um, and she, you know, she, she represented herself in court and won her own court case. She was wow. accused of a murder of a judge, no less. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, her life as, as an activist. Um, Coates? Yeah, Tenehisi Coates. He, brilliant, brilliant writer. I mean, he's just an incredible writer. Mm -hmm. um, so Between the World and Me is a great starting point. It's a narrative. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's writing a, 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 like a spiritual successor to Baldwin's The Fire Next Time. So Baldwin was writing to his nephew. Uh, in that work, but it's an you know it's an essay, and 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 Tennessee Coates is writing to his son, mm -hmm. and that's kind of the title between the world and me. And that's really powerful to shape your thinking, um, give you a different perspective. And then what do we do with uh, Cone? Like, read him, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And but a lot of people have been scared off of him before, like. But I found him a really great resource. Yeah, like I liked it a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. So what the what ideas that? around identity and understanding how race has been ignored in the dominant uh, evangelical theology, mm -hmm. the way it's been ignored or subjugated as a footnote. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cone blows that up. Like I'm talking one, about James Cone. Yes. For people listening. Yeah, James, yes, James Cone. Black Liberation Theology. Yes. He, he coined uh, Black Liberation Theology. Mm -hmm. And um, that that type of thinking, if if you want to, if you want to like get, that's a little that's a deep dive, mm -hmm. you know, King's writing. So you can understand you know, Tennessee Coates. Those people are writing for the, the lay person, mm -hmm. but Cone is, he's a, he's a, was a professor of systematic theology, <laughs> you know, and although it's more readable than a lot of that stuff, um, he's really addressing the underpinnings of the things that you may have heard in preaching most of your life. Mm -hmm. He's just, he's, he's barreling through those ideas. Mm -hmm. He can't write it fast enough, mm -hmm. you know, to, to take this abstract stuff and bring it, pull it down to the ground and, and force you to have to deal with realities, mm -hmm. the realities in which these theologies were constructed. Cause every theology is constructed around the perspective of the group of people are having to agree on certain presuppositions mm -hmm. in order to come up with a system of theology, mm -hmm. you know? So he's, he's kind of throwing a grenade into this carefully manicured well theology <laughs> that like a John MacArthur feels mm -hmm. so incredibly self-confident about. Right. Yeah. And he's just saying, you haven't reckoned with any of this stuff. Yeah. And so um, when you're ready to become a revolutionary, mm -hmm. and you need you need some uh, fuel. James Cone can can turn you into a revolutionary person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I and I high, I highly suggest reading James Cone. Yeah. And because uh, what's the other book that we that um, the cross the cross and the lynching tree? Yeah. That's probably easy an easier one yeah, to start right. with yeah. uh, because uh, it's more of a historical book and less of a the, the, a book of theology. Yeah. But he 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 he's what what he specializes in, according you know, in my memory, is making a theology concrete. And what he is the enemy of is abstract theology. Mm -hmm. So he says, if you want to talk about Jesus in the American context and his crucifixion, mm -hmm. then you must deal with lynching because that's what, that's our closest um, comparison 
mm-hmm. to the, the crucifixion of Jesus is, is the lynching of black men and women and children mm-hmm. uh, in the United States. Yeah, anyone else in the arts or, or um, it's, it's okay. We, again, we can put it in the footnotes. But um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Toni Morrison's novels are breathtaking. Uh, another, another amazing writer um, who j- just won, won his second Pulitzer Prize, I think, mm-hmm. is, uh, is uh, Colson Whitehead. Mm-hmm. He wrote this blockbuster of a book in 2018 called Underground Railroad. And it's a historical fiction book following this female character who escapes from slavery. And she goes through like this Gulliver's Travels thing. Um, but it's like of all the, all the stages of oppression of black people in, in America. She, as she runs from place to place, she's experiencing all these things. Um, it, you know, I mean, a lot of people listen to hip hop. Hip hop's probably the, the, the most well listen to genre in the world Mm -hmm. but you know you you can't go wrong uh with with uh, lupe fiasco an older one uh he's not as popular now as uh taleb quali i learned a lot from taleb quali's Mm -hmm. work let's see what else on 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 my bookshelf uh eric what's his name eric i haven't i haven't actually read him but i know he's a big voice right now those are the ones i think of off the top of my head my my go-to's yeah kind of thing so well i um i want to end it with asking so who are you voting for in november i'm joking <laughs> no so like i just uh, i i want to i'm an anarchist there you go uh-huh. <laughs> no I, i'm a christian anarchist <laughs> kingdom something yeah or. yeah <laughs> i i was just reflecting here um you know i think about five five or six years five years ago you were doing a residency here, yeah. And I remember Ferguson. Everything happened when Ferguson, uh-huh. and you wrote an essay. And I remember how how well it wasn't received, yeah, at that time. Uh-huh. And I think about where we are now, and I have so much gratitude because uh, you you've done the work of making so much. You're faithful. You've you you've been willing to to break up these big things and make them bite sized along the way, and um, I just I feel like anybody who calls this church their home is very very lucky to get to to have you around and as a resource and someone guiding in that way. And um, I know for me personally, I can attest to this. Uh, you did that for me, and you 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 discipled, you shaped, you led me in these discussions about how to do it and, and gave me the space and room to mess up and to miss it and then to not shame me with it, but then to help me actually experience my shame in it. And then, so I'm, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I have a lot of confidence about if people at Christ City are willing where they could end up, yeah, along yeah, I, mean, I do path. too. I, yeah. I really do. And so, um, and uh, yeah, thank you for making time to do this. I mean, uh, however we break up this podcast, we've been going at it for two and a half hours. Yeah, and it doesn't feel that long. Uh, maybe Matt, maybe it feels that way for yeah. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, just there's so much here, and you know, again, yeah. the the whole hope and of doing this together was just to have a long form yeah. of 
let's just talk about it all. See, and we didn't even talk about it all. Right. Right. We, we, we scratched a little more than the surface. A little more than the surface. <laughs> and there's so much more to, to be able to grasp. But my, the hope is that anyone listening to this, their, their appetite, right, mm. like is, is stirred. Yeah. And they know how or where to get more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I've enjoyed this. Thanks for, thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Robin, for your thoughtful questioning and helping to tease all these things out out of me. And I think it's uh, it it couldn't have gone the way that it did if we didn't have the friendship that we have, you know, to be able to just come in with the questions and, and do yeah. it like this. So yeah. I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And uh, Matt, thank you. Thank you, Matt. Matt extraordinaire, Matt Brown. So, yeah. all right, well... Uh, That's it. Y'all have a good day. Yeah, we're signing off. Signing off. So you've just heard part three of a podcast conversation between pastors Robin and Jamin of Christ City Church. I'm Stacey Martin. I'm one of the elders here. And I know for me, it was so great to hear um, over the past two hours or so of listening um, the full story from kind of Jamin's origins um, leading up to becoming a pastor and activist kind of what the wider context of that looks like in the United States today, and then how we should move forward. What does it mean to be an ally and to confront our privilege? So I know for those of us uh, part of Christ City Church, um, it's just such a blessing to have um, have a pastor, have someone in the pulpit who can really tell the story, tell the true story, and um, give us some action points on how to move on from here. And I actually have Jamin sitting here with me. Jamin, is there anything you'd like to say as we end this podcast? Yes. Thank you so much, Stacy, and for putting it the way that you did. Um, yeah, for me, this podcast was really satisfying to be able to talk through these ideas in, in more depth. And all that to say, there's, there's a lot more to talk about, to discuss, uh, to think about, and to act on. And so whether you're a partner of Christ City Church or somebody who's just checking us out, or maybe this is your first introduction to us as a church and what we're about, um, there's uh, a great uh, amount of opportunities to move forward with, even as we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And I hope that you'll check out the resources and drop us a message on our Facebook page or through our uh, website or even on our Instagram. So um, you can you can find us at Christ City Memphis or ChristCity.org, depending on if you're on uh, a web browser or if you're on Instagram or Facebook. So all you'll see all those links and other resources uh, in the description of the the podcast. So you can you can find all that there. And thank you guys for listening. Be blessed.